and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron, also of the Glacier Musical Podcast, joined by my good friend Duncan Evans of Moonlow, Waxworm, Duncan Evans, the solo artist, and hopefully soon, Duncan Evans, the feature film. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, yes, so how are you doing, Nick? I am good. I have been up. As as always, we have a bit of a we have we have a time lapse between us. Duncan is six hours ahead of me, so as we record this, it's 1.30 p.m. for me, and it's 7.30 p.m. for him, so hopefully he's had a good dinner, but for me, I have been up and moving, slept in this today, slept in till nine, which is the first time in I don't know how long that I slept in, so that was lovely. Yeah. I know you slept in because I had texted you earlier about whether we could do today or not, and I was looking, I was like, no, not active for seven hours. Okay, Nick had a slightly late one last night and probably still is asleep. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get home till about one. And yeah, so yeah. I woke up and did my shopping, went and got lunch. We had some Taco Bell and tried to listen through this album as much as I could. And we will definitely also talk about the history of Sepultura and all that kind of good stuff as well. But uh, other than that, I am doing good. It's it's I'm happy it's the weekend as best I can say. That's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, too. I'm pretty busy at the moment. Um, hence, we weren't able to do uh, do one last week. So sorry, people, but we are we are back. We've managed to squeeze in a little uh, little slot in our busy schedules. So um, and then we'll just have to work out as you guys say. Well, I say schedule just to. Oh, OK. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll have to work out next week, too, because next week's Father's Day and I'm not allowed to be in the house all day Saturday. So. Ah, uh, yeah. I actually think our, yeah, we have the same Father's Day, actually. So it is technically my first Father's Day as a father. Ooh. I don't think we're going to make a big deal of it, but we'll, um, yeah, we'll work something out, man. Um, we will figure it out as best we can do. Absolutely. Okay, so, well, you've alluded to the fact that we are talking about Sepultura. So uh, what are we talking about within the world of Sepultura? We are examining their second album which is called schizophrenia which uh, i didn't pay close enough attention to the lyrics to know whether or not they used the term correctly uh although i think the no 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 because yeah everybody in america anyway confused schizophrenia with multiple personality disorder yeah we have that um i don't know because i i certainly couldn't hear any of the lyrics and i didn't look them up i'm gonna look them up now so maybe as we go through the songs i might just have a little look at some of them as we uh, roll through them. Um, but in America, it is now called dissociative personality disorder. Okay, right. I, I haven't heard that term, but I'm not particularly up on these things. It may well be that we also call it that here. I think we probably generally have the same uh, updates in these sort of terms. I, I only know that because the terms I've known for decades that schizophrenia is not what americans think it is so right yeah i think yeah we certainly have the same thing with people confusing it with multiple personality disorder but yeah yeah thinking about it, i've not actually heard anyone use that term sort of in the news or anything for for ages you know mm-hmm. to me it tends to be something that's talked about um I, I don't know when you're reading about stuff from 50 years ago or whatever. So yeah, probably the terminology and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if schizophrenia is no longer used also. I think that may well be right. Yeah. We say schizophrenia, by the way. So if I oh. say that, then um, that's, uh, that's I, I love the little differences in our language. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. One of my favorite things. The strangest one for me is um, faucet and tap, but anyway, that's a whole other, 
whole other thing. We have taps, you have faucets. But <laughs> no. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, this is their second album. Now, basically, this is okay, so it's significant because for at least three or four reasons. So, firstly, it's the first one. Apparently, the first album was kind of black metal-y. Um, which is odd to begin with. Yeah, well, I think they'd been very influenced by Venom, who, whilst Venom were not really black metal, they had an album called Black Metal, and they influenced all the black metal, certainly the first wave bands, um, with their sound and and their sort of imagery and style, even though... Um, Venom were not particularly serious about it. They they kind of thought, yeah, this is ridiculous. Let's just turn it up to 11 and be really silly. And the black metalers were like, oh, yeah, this is really serious and demonic and evil. But so, so I guess there was maybe that influence going on. But but yeah, this was the first one where they uh, were kind of doing a death metal-ish album-ish, kind of thrash death. It's also the first album with what you would probably call the classic lineup. So we've got the Cavalera brothers, um, including um, Max uh, on vocals as well as guitar by this time, uh, because at first they did have a separate singer. Mm -hmm. And you've got um, Andreas Kisser on lead guitar and Paolo Jr. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Paolo. 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 That's just it. Okay. Paolo was also on guitar. Um, and bass guitar. Um, sorry, bass guitar. Yeah, I'm talking. And he songs. and Paolo yeah. has been is he's the one dude to have been on every album. Yeah, that, there you go. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So Andreas Kisser is now still in the band, mm-hmm. but he was not on the first album. So yes, absolutely. Um, it's one yeah. of the many many bands where the original lineup and the classic lineup are not the same people. Yeah, and Paolo wasn't even quite original. They had another guy on bass before him. So, yeah, interestingly, um, there are actually no, technically no original members in the band anymore. Well, they're, um, But they're one of those bands where I think it's kind of still accepted that the lineup is legit because there's two guys that have been in the band for a long, 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 long time. Um, and I didn't even realise Paolo had been in the band the whole time. He yeah. Now, Paolo was on the very first release, which was... Yes. An EP. Uh, yeah, EP by Sep- EP by Sepultura. The difference was the only difference between that and this is uh Yero Goods. I'm sorry, I don't speak Portuguese, guys. Uh Yero Goods was the lead guitarist, and he was also on uh Morbid Visions, the debut album. Correct. But yeah. It's what we're talking about right now is a Sepultura that hasn't found themselves yet. Exactly. So as I understand it, this was not really their breakthrough album. That was kind of the next one, um, which was called uh, Beneath the Remains. There we go. Beneath the Remains. Yeah, I forgot. So that was kind of their breakthrough album. But this was the album that led to that. So basically, as I understand it, this was released on quite a small label. I believe it was called, let me just get this, um, Cogumelo. Um, an independent Brazilian label. They um, didn't release, actually they have released quite a lot of bands, but basically none that I've heard of. And most of them don't have Wikipedia pages. So that shows you how. Uh, I'm taking, I'm going to look through them real quick, see if there's anybody significant to my knowledge. No, no one. Exactly. So 
But this album, basically, they tried to um, send that they sent this to um, radio playlists in America. They were struggling to book gigs because club owners were afraid to book them due to their style. So it says on Wikipedia. But Roadrunner Records um, picked up on them through through them sending their stuff to radio playlists in the U.S., and yeah, Roadrunner found uh, found this somewhere, liked it, and signed them without even seeing them perform in person, and then distributed this album a bit more widely. Um, but then it was that next one, um, also released on Roadrunner, I presume, that um, kind of broke them a bit bigger, and that's when they got things like the support tour with Ozzy Osbourne, things like that, and then they from, started to become a big deal. I can tell you from my perspective, Beneath the Remains was like the coming out party for Sepultura, to the point yeah. where I always assumed that was their first album. Exactly. Yeah. Just because exactly. these, the first two aren't ever really spoken of. And, you know, them, Sepultura, the band, sending their album to playlists saying, please play us, please play us. It sounds ridiculous now because yeah. we're talking oh, about yeah. one of the one of the biggest metal bands of the early 1990s. Yeah. As big as Deicide, Cannibal Corpse, you yeah. know, Obituary. Yeah. But we're also talking about extreme metal and in this album came out in 1987 Seven. yeah in 1987 extreme metal was metallica exactly yeah exactly and don't forget well obviously you're not going to forget metallica still had kind of melodic vocals yes they were sort of growly mm -hmm. But they were not doing the rah, 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 thing. You're right. That you know, weird. Napalm Death had not broken over here. Mm -hmm. It was a little different over across the pond because you had Napalm Death out there at this point in time. You did, but even then, I think they were pretty tiny at this point in time. They, they were did pretty, get played on Tim Peel. John Peel, yeah. John Peel, excuse me. But John Peel was known for playing crazy stuff. Right. Um, like he play, you know, he'd he'd play kind of like, I don't know, the Smiths or something. And then he'd go, Yeah, this is a band called um Dead Rat Suicide. And they just, <laughs> you know, and people kind of just people knew that was John Peel, so it was fine because they so knew. They weren't, oh, and Carcass got played on John Peel as well. Exactly, exactly. They did yeah, uh, so live performances. I have that from a record store day release. But you also had Napalm Death on, I forget the name of the show, but it uh, featuring the guy that played Lister. Uh, Craig Charles. Craig Charles, oh, yes. Oh, Red Dwarf, Red Dwarf. No, no, yes, they weren't on Red, well, Carcass was on Red yeah, Dwarf. Yeah, Carcass was, was later. Yeah. I'm the talking Napalm about uh, Napalm Death with Bill Steer was on television. He had a variety show. Oh, uh, wow. I think it was before Red Dwarf or around the time of the wow. beginning. I didn't even know that. It's on YouTube and... Basically, he asked the question, why are your songs so short? Well, that's all the long, that's all the, that's as long as we can bear to play them. Why can't we understand the lyrics? That's why we print them in the sleeve, Craig. <laughs> oh, brilliant, right? I know he presents a funk and soul show these days. It's well, I found out a couple of weeks ago, I, my, my kid and I are sitting on watching, watching YouTube on the TV because I love, I love YouTube. It's like my favorite thing now. And we were watching Japanese game show clips. And right. in America, there is a show. There was a show called uh, MXC, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Right. And the it was a an American redub of a Japanese game show called Takeshi's Castle. And mm -hmm. I found out there was a UK version voiced by Craig Charles. 
Casey's Castle. Yeah, I've definitely heard of that. Yeah, that um, that makes sense. Um, I, I yeah, I watched that. For, we we just watched him doing Takeshi's Castle for hours. I right. love that man. Love that man. There you go. There Small you digression. Go. I apologize. No, no, no. It's all all good. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, we're digressing, but yeah, basically, um, they were not. not and yeah, this whole thing of them sending their. Uh, the, the, their singles out to the radio playlist. This shows they didn't really have any PR. They probably didn't have any management. They were they were a small band. They were struggling to get gigs. Um, so yeah, this is the album before the one that broke them. Right. Um, I'm going to have to mention the album cover as well. It's got one of those covers that could only have been possible in the '80s, where like bands that went on to become very very well respected extreme metal bands still had kind of silly album covers like. This is kind of a cross between something that um, I don't know Saxon would do or something, but it's it's cross between that and like um, the cover of um, oh what's the band uh, Quiet Halloween. Riot? Yeah, or yeah, there you go, and, and it's all a bit strange and silly. You've got these demonic eyes and someone wearing a straight jacket, but it all looks very cartoony. And their oh, it's very their logo cartoony. at the time was really kind of silly. It's it's almost like um, black metal. It's like, yeah, it's like a cartoon version of a black metal logo. Um, yes, it is a very it's a, it's a very bad parody of black metal. Yeah, and then it's yeah. also got the the blades on the S and the A. Yeah, uh, emulating some Metallica there. Yeah. But I have seen that, that that picture of the guy in the straight jacket. Yeah, that's from another album cover. Oh, really? Okay. So that that's a it's a version of something from another album cover, right? And I cool, just probably. can't picture. I, it, no, no. But it, but I would also argue that they did have schizophrenia correct based on the album cover. You've got a man that you you're looking through a wall that is shattering, and you're seeing yeah. a man in a straight jacket screaming in front of basically a demon head exactly yeah exactly with cat's eyes even i mean it's and yeah. none of it it does not look good no it's not quite as bad as um what's it called metal magic by pantera but we're getting we're going Ooh. down that sort of route um we are yeah. in, we're we're in the vicinity of metal we're we're in the neighborhood of metal magic we're not it may not be the same street but we're in the neighborhood it's that bad it's, totally. it's just cartoony and awful and exactly. also just to kind of buttress an earlier point at this time in music there are a lot of the bands that become the elder statesmen of the extreme movement going death is going i believe cannibal corpse has started at this point and oh. master is out there merciful fate had broken up king diamond is about to release his first solo record right also yeah. on roadrunner records and none of these bands ever got out of the unknown sepultura was the first one yeah 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 exactly so that's it and i'll just mention why we're doing this um apart from well, the let's, obvious let's, you've already let's explained. get to that let's 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 work up to that a little bit okay because i know exactly where you're going okay and as i'm listening to this album for the first time because we were supposed to do it last week you know schedules happened life happened so and I'm listening to it and I'm cooking breakfast, doing my thing, doing my, my, my weekly Department of Metal Antiquities research. And I'm two or three songs in and I'm like, it's pretty good. Why am I listening to this? Why in the world am I listening to this album? Why are we doing this? And it took me three or four more songs to remember the reasoning. So let's start off with how would you describe 
the music of Sepultura? So I would say it's very groove orientated. Um, it's very heavy. Um, it's uh, there's, there's a lot of percussion going on. You've very got percussive, this, yes. Yeah, you've got this whole thing of them incorporating like the the the, the Brazilian traditional music and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Very catchy. Um, a lot of kind of shout along, sing along kind of chorusy bits. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Big, and kind of in some ways the precursor to new metal. Um, you know, all the new metal bands were into Sepultura. I'm not saying they are new metal, they're not, but no, um, they're 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 the fathers, though. Every yeah, genre of yeah. music is comes out of somebody else. I mean, Led Zeppelin was every metal, every metal dude in 1982's favorite band. Exactly. Yeah. But none of them sounded like Led Zeppelin. No. I know so we go back, it. I know we go back to the Led Zeppelin uh example all the time, but you got to go with the big touchstones that everybody knows. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I would think that's a great description. Um, far better than I could ever describe it to myself. What genre of metal would you call it? Because it's, uh, so it's not groove metal. It's yeah. definitely not death metal. It's not hmm. thrash metal. What is it? Well, this is the thing. I would say Sepultura kind of are their own. I would say they're influenced by all of the above, but they're kind of their own thing in right. a way. It is its own thing. There is no scene yep. for Sepultura. There is no... Max Cavalera's vocals, the only person that's ever sounded remotely like him, and it's not even close, but the cadence of his vocals, the way he, the way Max Cavalera sings... The closest is Evan from oh, Biohazard. Right. That shouty kind of hardcore vocals, except Evan didn't growl the yeah. a shout growl like Max. Max yeah. is, but then he stopped doing that for Soulfly, which I think is why I didn't like Soulfly. Mm -hmm. Soulfly mm -hmm. was too vanilla for me based after hearing what I had heard. Sure. So, and then you don't have really riffs. You have thunderous chord progressions. Max didn't even play six strings on his guitar. Right. He only played a four. He pl only played his guitar with four strings. Right. And right. the drums on Sepultura are the most. And I'm not a big fan of drums and dr drumming and drummers and all that kind of business. But you can't listen to Sepultura without going, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" Because mm -hmm. it's it's all over the place. Uh, then. You brought up the rhythmic percussive. Max described it as all four members were percussionists growing up. Yeah, I think if you look at the lineup on like Wikipedia, loads of them sort of are listed as percussionists. I think at one point, like everybody in the band's listed as percussionists or something. So, yeah, at least three of them at one point. So, yeah, well, they're all doing bits of percussion on the records and probably live. Right. And that, that he described that as how they play with a percussionist yeah. kind of. So it creates a really different sound, a really different feel. And nobody has been able to capture that away from them. Nobody's even, I mean, there's not even been any ripoff bands that I've ever heard. Mm, so it's, mm. it's really cool. And that's sure. why we're doing this one. And I will let you take over it. Yeah, well, no, basically, I was um, at uh, some friends, and I think it might have been uh, for New Year's Eve. I'm pretty sure it was for New Year's Eve, um, you know, six months ago. And we were playing some vinyl records. Um, and, and no one invited me. 
<laughs> yeah, well, hey, you're invited next time, you know, but you'll have oh, to uh, make your own way here, however many <laughs> thousands of uh, miles it is. But only six, yeah, six, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and then anyway, this record was on, and I said, Oh, who's this? Just when there was a little break in the conversation for five seconds, and someone said, This is Sepultura, and I went, No, it isn't. <laughs> this, this sounds nothing like Sepultura. And someone says, yeah, yeah, this is their second album from 1987. And I said, I didn't even know they were around in 1987. I thought it was like about 1990, like maybe 89 and a push, but second album in a push. <laughs> like the second album in 87. What? So they had even one before this. What's going on? And why does it sound nothing like Sepultura? So, um, yeah. Can I, anyway. I need to break in for a minute. Yeah. The vinyl nerd in me now wants to know, did you ask about the record itself? Uh, the physical record? I, um, I can't remember. What, what what do you want to know about the record? Like, was it a first pressing? What was oh, right. it? I don't know. No, it was someone who brought it over. I don't I don't know if they knew, to Well, be if honest. they brought it so, over, there probably wasn't a first pressing out of Brazil. Oh, yeah, no, I don't think it was the first one out of Brazil. No, it was probably one of the Roadrunner ones, I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay, okay. Well, okay. I, I, I'm just curious, because it's... Amer the Americans have finally caught back up to England when it comes to vinyl. Right. Because over in England, it never really, I mean, it was never what it once was, but it never really stopped. It wasn't. Sure. It's not like vegan or CrossFit here where you got to tell everybody with, within five minutes of meeting them. Everybody just assumes that you have records somewhere. Even if yeah, you're not. That's right. doing it. So, yeah, I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of it from my point of view in terms of the lead up here. Um, so all I will say is I listened to the original nine track version. There is a reissue. I listened to the 10 track, but. Whatever. OK, so there's like a 1990 reissue, which had an extra track. And then there's 1997 remaster, which also has three bonus tracks, which are like demos and rough mixes. Mm -hmm. I stopped at track nine because that was the original um, album, which is only 37 minutes and 49 seconds. So there we go. And, you know, I think 37 minutes in, in terms of this genre of music. 37 mm -hmm. to 40 minutes is about the right number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my opinion. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Okay, um, Nick, do you know what I've actually just realised I've done because I'm a complete and utter idiot? I think I didn't listen to track nine, which is kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> so, because I think, I, yeah, I think I've somehow not listened to track nine. So, yeah, you'll have to tell us about track nine. But anyway, I listen to the rest of it. I'll do my best. These, a lot of these I was listening to while I was driving. Right, yes. So, when I'm looking through this and there's a seven-minute instrumental a one-minute instrumental. Yeah. So uh, and so, if you take out the intro, the excessively long instrumental, mm -hmm. and the short instrumental, you're down to three songs at 30 minutes. Yeah, I guess so. That's, and that's kind of surprising. And then one of the songs, To the Wall, the lyrics are written by Vladimir Korg. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Who is that? I have no idea. I just noticed that. Let me Google him real quick. Yeah. Because that's an odd name. It is an unusual name. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is it just a friend of the band or, or someone that was in the band earlier, maybe? I don't uh, think the name of the he, original singer. He was in a band called The Mist, 
And okay. he's now in a band called the Unabomber Files, which I believe also features Paolo Jr. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, Paolo is in that band with him. Right. Wow. Right. Um, right. Okay. But he was in, yeah, so he must have been a friend of the band. Uh, I'm sorry, past bands. Let's see. Children of Sacrifice, War, 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 Warfare Noise, Abominable, Anno Domini, Disorder, The Tape, 1986. Oh, I'm sorry. The band is Chakal. Right. And then he was in another band called Mega Thrash. Mm-hmm. He was in Obsessed. Like. Not The yeah. Obsessed, oh, right, but Obsessed. Right. And the Junkie Jesus Freud Project. Sounds fun. So this is definitely a guy that's tried to get it done. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. Well, um, I'm happy to uh, crack into the old uh, track by track if you are. I'm ready to go as best as I can do. Okay, all right. So... Um, Shall I start? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm leading the track by track this time, yep. aren't I? Right, so, okay, so we start with an intro. So you've got a dark synth drone, and then you've got, like, psycho-style violins, as in Psycho, the movie, you know, the kind of... It actually works quite well. It's the sort of thing that could be incredibly cheesy, but I, I kind of like it, actually. Uh, and then it that cuts away, and you've got some distorted screaming. Um, so this is just a really short intro. It's, like, 30-odd seconds. Um, yeah, but- it's... Quite a good way to set the scene. I, I I'm just I don't like these little intro tracks. Right. I don't mind the music. I'm just saying put a part of the first track because when it just makes your shuffle stupid. So it's like, yeah. all right, finally the record comes up. Oh, it's the intro. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So, yeah. but other than that, no. And I I would also say that you know I think we could describe the sound of those violins as psycho, not necessarily just the the movie, but yeah. Yes, sure. But I'm just, but I'm just being silly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is um slightly kind of mistranslated, I guess. Track two: "From the past comes the storms." So slightly grammatically incorrect there, but you know we'll Ooh. let them off. Um, being Brazilian. Um. Okay. So this starts off with like thrash, death, chuggy, fast riffs. And then it kicks in with a fast kind of hardcore-ish blast beat. This is not very Sepultura. It's, you know, not what I think of when I think of Sepultura. It's pretty good. You've got some gruff vocals, um, not distinctively much like what Max Cavalera would normally sound like, but totally fine. Um, occasionally some weird effectively, effecty delays. So we'll sort of go, raw, and it'll go, raw, raw, Anyway. <laughs> But it's rhythmically very cool. So again, that is a bit of a um, precursor for, of what came later. You know, taste of what was to come. The rhythm is key here. The energy is great. I would say it's not the most interesting in terms of riffs or vocals. It's a bit generic. But then again, it's 1987, so there weren't seven million extreme metal bands that had done this. So maybe at the time it didn't seem like that. Production's a bit thin. I guess that is a bit of a trope of this sort of style, the slightly thin, um, crisp, but not exactly, um, not exactly weighty production. Um, And it changes gear, uh, you know, changes tempo quite a lot of times, which is a running theme for this record. Um, It gets into some quite good riffs towards the end. Um, The solo's all right, but it's a bit like a Slayer solo at first, at least, where the, 
maybe the actual guitar playing doesn't always fit the backing music. Although I will say, as it goes through, it starts to get better. It's like he works out what key is in, and then it seems to fit a bit more. So, yeah, look, this is pretty good. It's not groundbreaking, or it doesn't sound to my ears groundbreaking. Maybe in 1987 it was more groundbreaking. But um, So nothing I haven't heard a lot of times before. Doesn't sound much like Sepultura, but there are a few sparks there of really nice energy and things that, that just hint at um, the greatness that is there. I would agree with a lot of that. Um, I would start off with, I don't think the thin production was a trope. Okay. I think the thin production was a mistake. And it wasn't until uh, Morris Sound Studios came into being and they were able to really record death metal in a new kind of way to make it crisp and weighty. So where you could hear the drums really well and all that kind of stuff. But that's besides point. That's just a little bit of a nitpick on my side. I I think you're right. I think there's actually not um, a producer as such on this. I think there's like, yeah, there's an engineer and that's it. The the technical personnel, apart from there's some other guys for the reissue and remastering and stuff, but the original album is literally just one guy, Tarso Semra, engineer, and that's it. So not even a proper producer. Yeah, I mean, and that's not surprising, really. No. It, it's not like they had any money to do this, and I don't think uh, Kugumeno Records was mm. rolling in it. But, you know, and the song, it's not a bad song. It it does sound like death metal. I've heard a squillion times after that, but you're, I'm certain you're right. It doesn't, at the time, it wouldn't have been something we had heard a thousand times because it didn't exactly. exist then. So... It is what it is, and it is it a fun track? Yeah. Is it a great track? No. I, I don't even know I would have thought this one was great then. Yeah, sure. It, it's, it's passable. Yeah. It, you know, it probably would have sounded great just because it would have sounded new at the time. That's kind of what I'm thinking, but, this, but to my ears now, it's like I've heard this a million times in, you know, metal nights at rock clubs and whatever. This is oh, the yeah. song. It's a generic death thrash noise. But, you know. It's a good track. It's a good start. It's a great way to announce what the record is going to sound like and what they're Mm going to give us while they're doing it. So, Mm -hmm. can't complain there. Cool. And I actually spent some time just now trying to figure out what that Straight Jacket album was. Did you reach any success there? No. No, it's a dude with uh, it's a white dude with black hair uh, in a straight jacket doing a weird, crazy pose. And I want to say it's like in front of amplifiers. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I I spent some time Googling that during our break. Could be the same artist. Like, I don't think. No, it was a photo. It was a photo. Oh, because this is kind of drawn, isn't it? Though, Yeah, it's a drawing. It's a really terrible drawing. So you think, right, okay, I don't know, man. Well, um, what I managed to do in that quick break was I have listened to the last track now that I've previously failed to listen to, and I'm very glad I did, but we'll get on to that a little bit later. Awesome. Um, so am I leading all of these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can. T- I mean, you know, next we're going to go into To The Wall, which, yes, uh, as I described earlier, that's the one that was, the lyrics were written by Vladimir Korg, which I think yeah. is one of the strangest names I've ever heard. When I was Googling that, when we were talking about it earlier, 
I was wondering to myself, is this the guy that made the Korg synthesizers? Surely no. No, it totally is not. But I mean, you never know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe he wrote a song and they covered it. Who knows? Not say that they were friends with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, this is another one. It's the thing about this album is largely it, it it's very bland. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's bland and inoffensive. It's kind of like listening to the U2 of death metal. They're not going to do anything that makes you go, oh, yeah, I love this. And they're not going to do anything that makes you go, oh, this is terrible. You're just going to be like, okay, well, you know, in four minutes, this will be over and I'll be fine. Yeah, I know what you mean. It is it is largely, as I think I said previously, a bit of a generic death thrash noise. Um, but yeah, look, there's loads of riffs. There's some more gruff rhythmic vocals. I would say this one might be slightly more catchy to the last song than the last song, but it is very similar. I did notice at this point, and it is consistent through the whole album, there's such a weird tone on the on the toms, particularly. Like it isn't slightly oddly produced record, you know, in that there isn't really any production. As we said, there's just an engineer, you know, doing his best uh to to get it all to work together, probably not used to death metal. Um and the toms sound so weird, they're like plastic. It's, it's almost like they're synth toms. It's really odd. But anyway, I think that's a yeah. really good description because it it sounds like a demo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It does. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've heard demos from before this time that sound better than this. None of them were death metal, of course. But no, totally. So it's. I think it's largely that nobody knew how to record this yes. kind of music yet, because just like it takes a while for bands to learn how to play some, you know, play to an album to sound like themselves takes a while for people to learn how to make a new genre, especially when it's something like death metal, which had a very odd EQ. You know, all of a sudden we're tuning down to C sharp. We're scooping the mids. So the lows are really low and the highs are really high. Yeah. So it, exactly. it's, it was a huge EQ nightmare for producers and engineers everywhere. Once it totally, happened. totally. But yeah, there's quite a good neoclassical solo in this one. And Towards the end, it starts to get a bit more melodic and catchy, so still heavy and uh, thrashy, but just a little bit more well thought through in terms of the composition. And maybe that's a little hint of what was to come. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got for that one. Not, I would not definitely agree, though, that the, the solos are definitely very good on this whole album. And, you know, everything is well written. There's even a little bit of that classic that Slayer uses, or not Slayer, excuse me, Sepultura, Sepultura uses to great effect as, as, as things go on. They use it a lot in uh, the song um, uh, Territory. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right. So track four is Escape to the Void. Um, so this. Button. Okay, so track four is um, sorry, hit the wrong button. Okay, track four is Escape to the Void, which has a nice, catchy, punky, thrashy riff. Um, an instrumental intro, it's got some cool demonic vocals. He's going for it a bit more, he's putting a bit more character and personality into the vocals, even though it doesn't sound like his later vocals. Some good, stabby, starty, stoppy bits. And I would say this is getting towards a classic thrash or death sound. So it's still, we're still not doing anything out of the ordinary that hasn't been done a lot of times, but this is getting out 
rather than being generic, we're getting into when you say, oh, that's classic because it sounds like other stuff. If you see what I mean, like when it's done oh, really yes. well, you say it's classic. When it's done kind of bog standard, you go, yeah, generic. So um, this is better. Um, slightly odd twiddly solo, but it's cool. And um, I, this one was quite short and sweet, which I thought was was good. It's, it's not that short, but it's like four minutes something. And it just felt like the previous one was five and a half and it went on a bit too long for me. This one, four and a half. Good. It's the shortest actual song song so far. And that works well for me. Death metal. I'm sorry. You've got to keep your songs in the reasonable level. You, you've got to be between three and a half and five because it gets tiresome. It can get very tiresome if it goes on too long, if it's not progressive enough. And love you, death metal, but a lot of death metal is not progressive enough. You know, death metal not named obituary or carcass, I guess I should say. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics on this one just kind of out of curiosity. The pest in the eyes of death follows us. Through the dirty streets of blood, it begins to eat inside us decaying our bones how will we escape if the void covers our lungs we are buried in the spewed trash for ourselves i mean that sounds so to me that's like kind of generic metal nonsense but it's but it's so the, the thematically it's generic metal nonsense but it's actually a little bit more poetic and interesting than your average generic metal nonsense okay if, if i may continue a bit more yes i look at my face on the side of the mirror my face falls down into pieces full of worms i burst my rotten heart with my own hands i am dying and i cannot help myself yeah i mean i think the same applies is um, it you know is it a bit more imaginative than what carcass did on their first couple of records where they just basically sang autopsy reports <laughs> Yeah, it is better than that. It's a lot. And because of the language barrier, it comes out like Dio generated lyrics. Yeah, there is a little bit of that going on. Like death metal Dio. But yes, we we're in another uh, bog standard song. It's that. And I don't know if you're noticing a pattern for me on this one. Nothing really sticks out on this album except for moments here and there for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so next one, track five, Inquisition Symphony, which is an instrumental. So do you want me to lead on this one? Go ahead. I mean, I, I didn't even notice there was a seven-minute instrumental. <laughs> which, well, it starts... Says oh, nothing good for me. Yeah, it starts with a synth drone pad intro. Then you've got these unsettling acoustic guitar arpeggios. And I found, I found them quite interesting. I thought it worked. It's like a dark, twisted lullaby type of sound. It was pretty cool. Then it kicks in with metal style. It kicks in with the full band in metal style. Best riffs yet. Look, they're not the best riffs on the planet, but they're dark and twisted, but they're still catchy and melodic. So that was where... This is the point where I started to think, yes, you're getting it now. It's like you've written a riff that's actually going to, it's still heavy. We're not compromising the weirdness, the the twistedness, the heaviness, uh, but it's catchy, melodic. It's going to stick in your head. I like the steady groove metal feel of this one. Um, this felt the most like what they went on to do later so far. Um, and actually, I thought it worked without the vocals. There was enough gear changes and enough melodic interest that it, there, there was still enough going on to hold our attention. 
Um, yeah, it went to shuffle rhythm. There's a good solo at that point. Some more nice riffs. Um, and then towards the end, they, they go a bit experimental where you've got these big metal riffs, but interspersed with this acoustic arpeggio. Um, and then at the very end, it goes into this super groovy bit which is a bit more reminiscent of the late stuff. And then it, before, then it does go back into the fast thrash, thrash again. So I, I actually thought this was the best one so far. Not saying it was amazing, amazing, but I liked it. Well, I mean, that's kind of the problem with this album is anytime you say, I like this song, or this is a good riff, you find yourself qualifying it. Yeah, true. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's not a terrible thing to do as to qualify things based on, you know, what I'm listening to in context, blah, blah, blah. That's yeah. fine. But there, there's nothing. And I do remember a lot of the points you're talking about, the arpeggios. That was very different. I mean, they didn't have anything like that in the rest of the album. So, yeah, this probably is definitely their best song. Excuse me. Uh, this definitely is their best song on this record so far. And, you know, I would probably go out on a limb to say it's the best there is. When I jokingly say I didn't notice the instrumental part, I would say largely that's because the vocals aren't really, I mean, they're, they're baked in to yeah. the guitars more than they are on top. So when yeah, I most said of I, these vocals are quite nondescript, that they are very standard. Sorry. No, thank you. That was perfect. I could take a sip. You're absolutely right. They're very nondescript. They're very, there's no, there is no memorable style to these. And the argument, of course, quickly is, well, this is brand new stuff. This is death metal. This is new. But I can tell you right now that if I heard uh, Jeff Walker from that moment, I would know it was Jeff Walker. Mm-hmm. And if yeah, I heard true. John Tardy of Obituary from this time, which he's only about a year or two out the road, I can tell you that was Jeff Tardy. If you heard and, any of the 7,000 Napalm Death Singers they had across their first three albums, you could definitely tell it was any of the 7,000 Napalm Death Singers. I jest, of course. But yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. And that that's the only, that's the real complaint I would have is that they hadn't found a voice yet. And I mean, it's not to say that that's, oh my God, the worst sin possible, but we're on the second record and you should be a little bit closer to finding yourself on the second record, I think, yeah. than the first Unless you're Led Zeppelin, who just did the exact same record two times in a row. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm kidding a little bit. Yeah. I, anyway, we'll get on to that another time. Um, okay. Yeah. So look, track six, Screams Behind the Shadows. Um, okay. So you've got some quite nice melodic riffs to begin with. Changes gear. Again, so these are always changing gear every five seconds. Changes gear to a fast shuffle with some dark melodic riffs, but they're right. They're really good riffs, actually. It feels like the riffs are getting better as they go through. Um, the vocals are pretty good. Again, nothing super special, uh, but again, they've got a nice driving rhythmic energy to them. Um, yeah, some. Oh, this is the one with the nice lead guitar melodies. You've got a kind of almost like how Iron Maiden do those lead guitar melodies or like something like um, For Whom the Bell Tolls, you know, that that type of lead guitar melody comes in, which was interesting and a bit different from anything they've done on the rest of the album. So again, look, this this track does not blow my mind, but I feel like they're getting better. I feel like they're finding themselves. I feel like the riffs are improving with almost every song at this point. Did you just compliment Metallica? Uh... 
I guess. I mean, I said that it was interesting that Sepultura used the same type of lead riff that Metallica used in For Whom the Bell Tolls. I don't know if that's a compliment. Yeah, but you know, it's a catchy riff, man. It's a catchy riff. That one. Yeah, it's a great riff. I love that riff. Yeah, okay. I'm just, I just wanted to make sure that my ears did not deceive me because I have never heard Duncan say a kind word about Metallica just. Unless it's the uh, what's it album, the one with Lulu. Lulu, Lulu, yeah, which was fantastic, but that's a whole other that, that's a whole other animal. Check it out. We discussed Lulu at length and yeah. to a surprising surprise, which was just spoiled. Yeah, but absolutely. you know, yeah, this is another it's another song. It's is it better? Yes. Is it worse? Not really. Is it amazing? No. Uh here's some lyrics because I need things to say. I, I, none of these songs really inspired a whole lot of anything in me. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm kind of going back to the lyrics. You know, death comes from the unknown, darkened by its own existence. The end no longer exists when the spirit leaves the body. Phenomenon that mankind would rather forget. Shadows and cries are found together, trapped inside a world. Hateful was your life in the past. To torment someone is your present destiny. Mm. What? It feels like this album's more about death than it is schizophrenia, to be honest. But anyway, whatever. So maybe it's yeah. about an ex- maybe it's about a, maybe the album's about is about a bout of an existent of an existential crisis brought on by a bout of schizophrenia, or schizophrenia it. brought on by a bout of an existential crisis. Absolutely, yes. But the lyrics are completely nonsensical. It, it's it, it's philosophy for a 13 year old. Yeah. And, but I mean, you got good riffs and you've got good solos and you've got these nice changes. You've got some nascent, very nascent, very, very nascent uh, Sepultura isms yeah. that they come to use to great effect later. There mm-hmm. is something special about this band as of right now. But there's nothing special about the music yet. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, okay. So far, apart from the little grammatical error in one of the song titles, the actual titles themselves have been pretty, pretty decent in spite of the translation issue. Um, Then we get to track seven, the best title in the world. uh, You know, I'm just going to say before before you say it, I had not. List, I had not seen any of the titles before right. I hit record. Yeah. Yeah. Septic Schizo. That is just awful. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Um, yeah. Septic Schizo. I mean, I don't know really what it even means. I mean, I know what septic means, and I know that schizo is short for schizophrenic, but septic there's nothing in the lyrics that allude to the septic tank or the the schizophrenic patient no exactly so anyway but that aside it starts with some groovy shuffle rhythm riffs those types of things changes gear many many times again as pretty much all these songs do Demonic vocals kick in with lots of delay at the end of many of the lines. So you get this kind of thing. Um, Some strong riffs and some really nice blast beaty grooves. Uh, The solo for me is a bit nonsense. It's one of those 
a soul as it doesn't really relate to the backing music in any way. But it's a pretty good song and it's short and to the point. So this is, again, this is the shortest actual song song on the album at 4 minutes 31. So quite like this one. The song might be short and to the point, but the lyrics are definitely not to the point. Uh, it, it sounds like it's a person about a person who went on a murderous rampage. Yeah, it does a bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, okay, well, there we go. You had mentioned the blast beats, and that was actually something I wanted to bring up a bit. And they use, on this record, they use, in my opinion, they use the blast beat in the way that it should be used all of the time. Right. Because it's there, it's present, it's in every song. It's done really, really well. It's even recorded fairly well, which is rare for this time. It's also not mixed on top of the guitars. D aside, looking at you. And, but they don't, that's not everything. Yeah. He's not playing a blast beat the entire song every time. And there are so many songs that would be made so much better if they played them like this. Mm. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of the song itself, what specifically sticks out about it? Nothing. It's another bland song that blends into everything else yeah yeah no i can see that yeah okay well track eight is the abyss so we never talked about where side two was because i don't know where side where the sides change but anyway i don't either doesn't matter right track eight the abyss so this is like one minute of okay this, this is where i have a problem okay this is an acoustic guitar track with a guitar that's out of tune the guitar's like really quite obviously out of tune. It's not good. And it's like classical-ish noodling. But what it, what it what it feels like is they've gone, hey, it'd be cool to have like a gothic kind of classical guitar thing. It'd be really dark, man. Yeah. And then the guitar player, I don't know which guitar player it is, but one of them's gone, right, okay, let me just throw together every kind of classical-ish bit of riff or melody or ostinato that I know or that I can put together. And I'm just going to shove them all together, even though they don't really fit together. And then we'll just call that a kind of instrumental track. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to tune my guitar. So this is terrible. That's been it, been that track. It's a lot like there was a song in my band that we used to play called Michelle. And I, when my band started, I had, it started like the day I got my guitar. I mean, like literally my first guitar. So we got a lot better as time went on as we all learned how to play our instruments. But some of us like me could not play at all. And I could not play open chords for the longest time, which is terrible because that's where you're supposed to start. Yeah. But I didn't, I wanted to be riffy like Metallica. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want to play chords. So, but there was the song called My Michelle that we played. No, Michelle. My Michelle is Guns N' Roses. Ours was just Michelle. Yes. And the the opening, I never actually wrote it. I just kind of improvised whatever open chords I could, but there would always be like a half half note break between notes when I would change the chord. You could hear the the break. And that's kind of like this. And I just, whenever we did it, I would just play whatever I could think of. And that's just kind of what this song is. It's just yeah. Well, whatever you can do, and and also at that time I couldn't tune my guitar, so <laughs> it's probably similar. Yeah, 
Yeah, no. So th- that they should not have put the dad on, in my opinion. Uh, um, they had to bump. They had to pad this out a little bit. I think that's how well, the instrumental gets there. Yeah. Well, however, though, track nine, which I'd originally neglected to listen to because I'm an idiot, but I, I've now listened to it. R.I.P. Rest in pain. Okay, this for me is rest in pain. Yeah, I, I know it's a bit silly, but. But this, for me, is a different kettle of fish. So it starts with some big, flashy riffs, kicks in with vocals, with that delay again, the rah, rah, rah thing. Um, some cool, tense guitar bits. Um, you've got some double kick stuff, kind of badly mixed, but it's still pretty cool. Some nice stabby bits. And then it kicks in with basically a hardcore track. And like this could basically be a hardcore track. It, it's very punk. The most punk song yet. Um, great chorus with the title as a hook. Rest in pain. Very hardcore, very black flag. Great song. Catchy, riffy, um, exciting, fast, intense. Got the hardcore, um, super fast D beat kind of thing going on. Great riffs. Gets a bit slower. Still fast, still very punk. Goes shuffle, a bit like a turbocharged children of the grave. Then comes in with a weird anthemic metal riff. Okay. Then we go back to the first one and we kind of do the whole lot again. Oh, with a twiddly solo, which is a bit, I don't know, half of it's amazing and half of it's kind of meh. You can't um, take out the twiddle solos. Okay. Well, fine. Yeah, keep the twiddle solo. But then, um, yeah, it goes back to the hardcore bit and the cool chorus. Um, great. I mean, I couldn't remember it now. I mean, it was the last track I listened to and it was half an hour after the rest of it. But still, you know, rest in pain. It's there in my head. Um, really great. Um, big crashy ending with the silly Tom Tom sound, like way too loud. Okay, but fine. Then it goes into a strange nursery rhyme bit. This is right at the end. This is like in the wig out bit at the end. They suddenly go into this nursery rhyme type melody and then into chaotic noise. And then it all starts to sound a bit electronic and a bit tape loopy. And then the tape kind of goes and slows down to nothing. And for me, that's the best song. And it's really good. And it's not really very much like what Sepultura went off and became, but it's great. If you take Oof, I just popped my headphones there. If you take this and you take one of the rando death metal tunes with a little in it, then you get a lot closer to what Sepultura was yeah. than what they are here. And the they're the thing about this album is there's a lot of ingredients, and this is one of the one of the main ingredients of, of Sepultura, and they're all the ingredients are on this album, yes. except for the drums. The drums just aren't there yet we haven't gotten there yeah but in terms of everyone else yeah the the ingredients to make sepultura are here and you can hear them except for and and except for max max is well in in the last song there's they're 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 there you just got to put that with the you gotta there's a lot of reductions that need to be made you've got to reduce these vocals into one thing you've got to reduce the the chords and uh, the riffs into some chords and you but it's it's there. The the thoughts are there. The ideas are there. They just haven't put it together. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look. I think you're completely right. I think you're completely right. They still don't quite know what they want to be. They don't know if they're a bit of a punk band. They don't know if they're a sort of thrash band. Like thrash is only a very nascent genre anyway at this point in time, really. Um, but. There's a lot of good stuff. There are a lot of cool riffs. There's a lot of great energy. Um, even though the production's weird and 
kind of scratchy. It's got a charm to it. Um, that last track is brilliant, in my opinion. And there's quite a lot of good stuff scattered throughout the rest. Nothing absolutely amazing apart from that last track. But um, yeah, I think it has a charm to it. It has a lot of promise. And I think every track apart from the silly acoustic guitar thing, second to last one, whatever that's called, The Abyss, which is indeed abysmal, everything else has something worth listening to in it. And also what I like is it actually gets better. Like quite often with these albums that we listen to, I listen to the first track and I think, oh, this is pretty good, especially if I'm expecting it to be bad. Then I get to the second track and I think, okay, it's still pretty good. Then by the time I'm on the fourth or fifth track, like it's worn off and they're just doing the same thing and I'm tired of it. That didn't quite happen with this. It was like they kept doing the same thing, but just ever so slightly improving it every time. So it kept me interested. It and didn't it was, quite happen, but it didn't quite not happen either. Yeah, yeah. So for me, this is a spin it. Um, you know, I don't think it's the best album ever, but I think if you know later Sepultura and you don't know this, then you should listen to it. I think if you like thrash metal or death metal or hardcore, you should listen to it. And um, yeah, that's about all I've got to say, really. I would definitely agree with when we listen to these albums and I, I forget what album it was. There was one we were listening to that was considered to be the absolute worst worst record of oh it was uh forbidden by black sabbath i was nearly gonna say with it that black sabbath when i'd forgotten the title yes it was forbidden by black sabbath and i remember the first track comes on and i'm like you know what this is pretty good i'm gonna tell all those people that came (laughs) down on this one about how bad it was you were wrong and and that one wasn't so bad. And then Ice-T comes in and ruins it. Yeah. And then it just went downhill from there. And there was yeah. never a good song after that. Mm. So, yeah. And that that was not this. It did. There was definitely some improvement as it went along and all that kind of good stuff. So it's, it's cool. Now, as for Spin It or Bin It, it's a tougher question. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Did I love it? No. Did I hate it? Definitely not. Is it special? Uh, a little. Am I going to listen to it again? Probably not. Would I be opposed to listening to it again? No. But I, I can't imagine seek, seeking this one out. And in a world where we live, where time is a commodity, I'm not going to spend more time on this album. So for me, it's a Bennett. Fine, fine. No, it makes sense. I can understand. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, that's that's really all I've got to say about this. I reckon it, it is worth listening to, but I to- I pretty much agree with everything you're saying too. Um, so, is it worth yeah. hearing? Probably, but I think it's only worth hearing once. Sure, spin it once. Spin it once. Yes, I would say that. So <laughs> there we go. New category. Spin it once. And <laughs> I have said everything I need to say. How about yourself? I have indeed. Yeah. Thank you for listening, people. Thank you very much. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye.